All right. If you are fourth grade or below, come on up. Or Lena. No, Lena wanted to teach us today. Come on up. Have a seat. All righty. So how many of you have heard about a bronze serpent in the wilderness? How many of you heard about the Israelites getting bitten by snakes? How many of you have seen a snake? How many of you have seen a poisonous snake? Poisonous snake? So the Hebrews in, Mo, in, in the Old Testament lesson, what were they doing? They were walking in the desert, remember? And they're going from Egypt to Israel. And they're walking in the desert, and they come upon this spot, and they start questioning the Lord. And so the Lord sends these things called fiery serpents. And it turns out that there's these snakes in the Middle East that we think they are, and they're like this big. They're about that big. And they're super mean. They're like these vipers, these snakes. And they're really mean snakes. And they jump, and they bite, and they're like, and they attack everybody. And they chase you, and they bite you, and if they bite you, they're super poisonous. And they came out, and the people walked among them, and they're hard to see, and then when you're in the middle of them, they attack, and they attack, and they attack. And so the people started dying. So how did God save them? Did you listen to the story there? What do you think God did? What did he do? Yeah, they put this, Moses made a, they made a bronze serpent. What's the bronze serpent? Anyone know what bronze is? Yeah? Um, it's like, like something you can use to make tools. Something you can use to make tools. Have you all seen bronze? It kind of looks like that, like the candlesticks. And they made this bronze serpent and they stuck it up and anybody who looked at it would be saved. So now, when Jesus is talking in John, our chapter today, <clears throat> this ruler named Nicodemus. Anybody heard of Nicodemus, Victoria? You've heard of Nicodemus? You heard? Who's, you've heard Nicodemus? Who is he? He's a person who came to talk to Jesus. And when does he come talk to Jesus, Victoria? In the day or in the night? In the night. In the night. Why does he come at night? Because he's a Jewish ruler. What would happen if a Jewish leader who's a teacher comes to talk to Jesus during the day and he really thinks Jesus might be the Son of God? What might happen to him? He might not be a Jewish leader. Maybe he could die. Yeah, or he might be a Jewish leader. So he comes in the dark. He's scared. And he talks to Jesus. And what does he ask him? He asks him if he's the son of God, or he asks him if he's really this guy. He says, we know you're a teacher who's come from God, and we know that God is with you. If it weren't, you couldn't be doing all these miracles. So Jesus is doing all these miracles, and so the rabbi has seen this, and Nicodemus sees this, so he asks, are you really God? So does Nicodemus think he's God? He's kind of asking questions. And Jesus says, how in the world are you a teacher and you don't know this? How could I be doing all these things and you have no clue? So then he begins to talk to him about the Holy Spirit. Who's the Holy Spirit? 
The person in heaven, good job. Sends languages and stuff. That's good. Holy Spirit. He doesn't have a body. He's one of God's persons. One of the people in the Trinity. Excellent answers, right? So when Jesus leaves, the Holy Spirit's the one who lives within us. And so he talks to... Hold one second. Let me read this part real quick. He says this. And it's really small, so i got to put on my glasses. All right. When you're old, you have to wear glasses like me. Um, how can I be born when I am old? He says, no one can see God's kingdom without being born again. Do you think he has to be born like you guys were born as babies? Is that what he's saying? He says, nobody can see God's kingdom unless you're born again. And Nicodemus says, wait a minute, do I have to be born again? Do I have to go in my mommy's tummy and be born again? Do you think that's what Jesus means? No. No? What does he mean, Wes? What do you think? Maybe to get baptized. What do you think? What do you guys think? What does it mean to get born again? You can take a guess. Go to heaven. That's a good guess. That's a very good guess, James. I like that. So he says, I can't go back inside my mother. I can't be born a second time. And he said, what I'm about to tell you is true. No one can enter God's kingdom without being born through water and the Holy Spirit. People give birth to people, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You shouldn't be surprised when I say you must be born again. And what he says is, the only way to heaven is through me. And he says, just like Moses, when people were dying, stuck up a serpent, and people had to look at the serpent, so people have to look at me. They have to look at the Son of Man. What does he mean? He has to look at Jesus. So he's saying, you have to look at Jesus to be saved. You have to look at me to be saved. Right? I'm the only way. And so he comes at night because he's scared. Have you ever been scared to say that you're a Christian? You've been scared? Why? There's always thunder. There's always thunder. <laughs> sometimes you're scared when there's thunder. And sometimes we get scared to say that we're believers. But Jesus says, just like I'm the only one that can say, like Moses, sorry, just like the serpent was the only one that could save the Hebrews from the poison, I am the only one who can save you from your sin and give you life. And that's what this whole story is about. And we're going to preach this to the adults now. All right? So you can explain what I'm going to teach to your moms and dads. All right? Explain that a little bit later. Got it? Got the basic lesson? Okay. Tell them what it's about a little bit later when they don't understand. All right? All right. Good job. Thanks, guys. All right, let's open our Bibles to John chapter 3. Father God, as we are coming before you this morning to hear your word preached and proclaimed, I pray that you would close our ears to any error that I may speak and open our hearts and minds to what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, Amos Cresswell writes this about Martin Niemöller, World War I hero in Germany. As a U-boat captain, um, this World War I hero was later imprisoned. He was a Christian, solid preacher. He was 
uh, he was in prison for eight years by Hitler on charges of treason. From 1937 to 1945, he spent time in prisons and concentration camps. People didn't know this. A lot of Hitler's enemies, a lot of uh, believers, a lot of preachers, a lot of people who didn't stand with Hitler were thrown in concentration camps. And so he spent time in prisons and concentration camps, including Dachau, which was one of the worst. Still, Hitler realized that much opposition would fall if I could get this World War I hero to bend the knee and to tell everyone that he is a Nazi and that I'm the best, if you could, if you could join my cause. So he sent a former friend of Niemöller, and seeing Niemöller in his cell, this one-time friend said, Martin, Martin, why are you here? Niemöller looked at his friend and said, my friend, why are you not here? When the whole world is in darkness, it's hard to see the light. And to suffer for being in the light can definitely seem like insanity to those who are in the darkness. Niemöller's friend didn't understand it. The rest of the world in Nazi Germany seemed like they were doing the right thing. Niemöller seemed like a fool. But to those in the light, it doesn't seem like that at all. Why? Because when you're in the light of Jesus, you see things very differently. Even in a culture like that, when everything around you is dark, you see things very differently. And it's this difference that's in focus in our passage this morning. This difference of vision is we're going to see. So, in John 3, 1 to 2, you have your Bibles or you can follow with me on the screen. It says this, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher in Hebrew, if you don't know uh, about that era very well, he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. Now, understand that John says signs. Signs are um, miracles in the other scriptures, signs here. John is pointing to signs because they point to Jesus. And so Nicodemus is saying, no one can do these signs unless they have come from God which is pretty good clue, right? I mean, how could anyone do signs like these unless they are somebody special? Now, it says ruler here, but the word ruler is a little bit unclear. What is Nicodemus? John doesn't really tell us. Is he royalty? Could be royalty, though that's a little unlikely given what's said later. Is he a Pharisee? Is he a Sadducee, which are two of the teaching classes? What is he? We're not really sure, and John doesn't really tell us. Now, it's, it's likely because, or possibly because, everybody knew who Nicodemus was. He comes to Christ, at least through Christian history, we, we, we learn later, he comes to Christ, to faith. And so, it's very possible that John's entire audience knew who Nicodemus was. He didn't need introductions, like Billy Graham or, I don't know, some other famous hero at the time, and so he could just say Nicodemus, and everybody understood who he was. But anyway, Nicodemus comes, and he comes to him at night. Now, this is important for John. Darkness and light 
are a big deal in the Gospel of John. Symbolism is a big deal in the Gospel of John. John is crafting this story in an interesting way. We had a a long Bible study. If you were in my Thursday Bible study, you know this. Uh, My Bible study uh, claims to be about one book, and everyone who's been in it uh, understands this, but it's really an excuse to jump throughout all of Scripture and kind of weave this in. But John, we were in it for a couple of years or three years or I don't know. We were in it for a long time. And John is a master at weaving a story. The Greek is very simple, and so when you start with John, you may think this is a simplistic book. And when you read John through the first time, everybody, and I, I always send people to John to read it, and they're like, wow, this, this book is easy. I can read John. I understand John. And, and they think they've got it, and yet John is infinitely deep, and I've learned more and more and more about it. And the, the longer I've been a pastor, the more amazed I am with this book. Well, for him, light and darkness are a big deal in his gospel. And he has these opening 18 verses that are famously called the prologue. And if you understand anything about those first 18 verses, I would encourage you to memorize with your children at supper, memorize those first 18 verses. They might not seem like much at first, but the entirety of John is pointing back to those 18 verses. It is woven through each and every chapter. And as we're going to see today, this chapter, this story of Nicodemus might as well be a living explanation of the first 18 verses, minus the section on John the Baptist. John 1, 9 to 10, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This is Jesus. Jesus was in the world, it says, it says he, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Now, what's happening here is Nicodemus coming in the dark represents the world who was in darkness who wants to know Jesus. Nicodemus isn't the seed of the serpent, meaning he's not those who will never come to Jesus. He is one of those who wants to know who Jesus is, and yet he doesn't know who Jesus is. He is in the world, yet the world does not know him. And this, of all people, is a ruler, a teacher of Israel. And he comes to Jesus and he says, who are you? You're doing all these miracles, and yet I'm clueless. That's what Jesus is pointing out. He says it right here in 3, 9 to 12, first, or John 3, 9 to 12. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand these things? You can hear it in Jesus' voice. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. I've told you earthly things, and you don't believe. How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Basically, dude, I have told you basic things, and you don't even get it. How in the world am I going to tell you deeper things, teacher of Israel, O marvel of the world, O person who has studied Scripture since the dawn of time? You don't even get the basics, is what he's saying. This is a smackdown. Ouch. Now, it's not that this conversation didn't happen, it did. But John includes it here, and he tells it in the way he does, 
in a skillful fashion to teach his audience and to make a point. This is how John weaves everything in his gospel. Remember, the gospels aren't histories. They're told to bring the good news of Jesus and to bring you to Christ. They're they're selected stories to teach you about Jesus. They didn't tell everything that Jesus did. How do I know that? Well, turn to the end of John. I suppose if we told everything that Jesus did, the whole world could not contain the volumes. He selects stories and he tells them in a way so that we can understand it and that he can tell us and teach us much about our Savior. So we often miss the masterful story as we blow through our gospel readings. It's stuff I missed when I was a younger pastor. So Jesus responds later in the conversation to Nicodemus, how in the world can you as a spiritual leader have no comprehension of what I'm saying? Why is this? Why do you not understand this? Why are you so knowledgeable? What's the same phenomenon that can be seen in every age, including our own? You are going to run into the best and the brightest, including religious leaders who have absolutely no understanding of the things of God, even when they're right before them. At Virginia Tech, and I've told you this before, I had some of the best and brightest religious scholars who studied Paul and the Gospels and the Old Testaments day in and day out and wrote the textbooks that were used at some of the seminaries and many of the Episcopal seminaries, Swanee and others, and yet they had no understanding of who Jesus was. They rejected Him completely, as do many seminary professors. One of my friends who went to Swanee Episcopal Seminary knew a professor. He he came in knowing his Bible inside and out and being well-trained and and the Institutes of Calvin and all these other things, and, and he would debate his professor down, and, and, and the professor just couldn't beat him, so they became friends. The professor later confessed to him that he delighted, he took great delight in shattering the faith of seminary students. And so some people are going to have no understanding of the things of God even when they're right before them. And this is really the story of the Old Testament. Think about this. After all the plagues of Egypt, after the parting of the Red Sea, the best and brightest in the world at that time were the Egyptians, and they reject God. But not only did they reject God, the people of Israel, many of them who walked through the Red Sea, who came up and saw God on the mountain, who day in and day out saw the pillar of flame before them, who saw miracle after miracle, who ate the manna on the ground, weren't allowed in the promised land because many of them rejected God. How is this? How does a thing like that happen? In our day, You're going to see this played out time and time again. People will read Scripture. They'll pray to God, and they'll see God at work in their life time and time again. They'll turn their back on Him in the end. Sometimes it plays out in a near-death experience. We pray to God to save us, and He does. And once we're better, we claim it was something else, chance, luck, a doctor, and we go our merry ways. Other times we compromise with society. We see all that God does in our lives, but we see the evil that society is doing, and we love the evil so much that we want to 
syncretize with it, meaning we mix our Christian faith with that of another religion or whatever it is that's popular in society today. We take a little of this, we take a little of that, and we kind of mix it all together, and we have this kind of religion that we end up loving. We think we're super spiritual, and we aren't, and we're no different than the Hebrews in the era of the judges or the kings and the prophets, and this is what we read about, where they began worshiping Yahweh with temple prostitutes, or they began to sacrifice their children to God. How did they do that? Well, they began to blend the religion of the world with the religion of God. But God isn't fooled. He doesn't desire worship on our terms. He is God, and He demands worshiping of Him, and so He punishes Israel for their sin. This is the point behind Jesus' next statement in John three thirteen to 15. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whosoever believes in him may have eternal life. So Nicodemus is eventually come, is going to come to faith. Understand that he is a searcher. That's what Nicodemus is. He's a real searcher. He's not somebody who's not going to come to faith. So when Nicodemus is really and truly asking Jesus, he wants to know. But he is asking as a Jewish leader, and he's wondering what kind of prophet Jesus might be. Or is he like some kind of uber-powerful king who's come to save them from Rome? Now, Jesus responds in an interesting way. He says, no, I have come down from heaven. Now, that's really interesting. He's not saying I'm a prophet. He's saying I have come down from heaven. I'm very different than a prophet. This has dramatic implications or meaning for all of us. Think about it this way. If he actually came from heaven, which, by the way, connects this passage with, again, the prologue, John 1, 1 to 3, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Then Jesus, right here, is claiming deity. And since He was actually from heaven, He actually came down from heaven. This means that He is either angelic or deity, right? That's what Nicodemus would begin to think. He doesn't quite maybe understand that Jesus is saying deity. We understand what he's saying. John 1 and other passages tell us that he's God. And as God, then Jesus is the only way for salvation. Now, Jesus does it by referring to our Old Testament passage. He, that's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm more than an angel when he says, look, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness and people had to look to that to be saved, so must you look at the Son of Man. Now, some people think that when he's saying you must look at the Son of Man is going to be lifted up, the natural thought is, I'm going to be lifted up on the cross, and you must look to the cross. That's not really what he's saying here. He's saying, as Moses lifted up the servant, and you had to look up to that, you must look at me. It's not a reference to the crucifixion, but a reference to you must look at me. I am the only one. I am the one and the Savior. It's a comparison, an analogy. So in our day, when we're so tempted by our society to give in to whatever the fashion of the day is, this passage reminds us that it's a mistake. 
Think about this. Currently, our culture surround us is similar to Germany in some ways. We're trying to redefine every single thing about what it means to be human from the ground up. That's what we're facing. Unless you've been living under a rock, you've seen that currently we're told that we are born male or female, but we redefine ourselves by our gender, right? Our gender can be made up by us as we choose, and whatever we want to be, male or female, nothing, a mix, fluctuating, a whole smorgasbord. We can also pick our nationality. Just was watching this on the news. Multiple people have been going through this case. We can pick our color or whatever. Soon, actually, if you've been paying attention to this, which is even scarier, we're going to be able to choose the genetic features of our children through a program called CRISPR. In such a society, you'll be able to pick all kinds of things. In such a society, we also feel free to mix and match our faiths. All faiths are basically the same, we'll say, or maybe no faith is the same. Maybe no faith is as valuable as any faith. Who knows? Marriage is valuable, we'll say, and we say that now, or maybe it's not. It's a choice. There's no societal value in it, we might say. So live together. Get married. Have as many partners as you want. Have a baby. Don't have a baby. Children have value. If you think they have value, they have no value. If you don't think they have value. All of this has in common that we live in a time where we have fundamentally become God. As one of my relatives told us, we have children because of the way they make us feel. We don't have children for their sakes. It was a perfect statement to contemporary society. We have become gods, and so we want to make it up as we go along. So either personally we've become God or we've let some group in society become God for us. So we believe that we can create ourselves from the ground up by declaring our gender or living however we want, and we think we'll escape all consequences. But here's my question. What if, ponder this for a second, what if we're wrong? What if Humans aren't God. What if there is a God who made all of us and all of this? What if, God, what if things work the way they work no matter what they think, or we think, excuse me? I mean that. Follow me. If I fly a ship into the sun and I declare myself, or to myself, that I cannot burn up because I am a human flame. Will I not burn up because I have become a human flame? So our current society says, no. Whatever I believe, I will change. But Jesus is saying something very different, and it's a reality which we as believers find ourselves. See, God created us to be who we are. He created us with purpose, for a purpose, 
with intrinsic value. You are significant because you are made in his image. And it doesn't really matter what I think or what you think. You have value, and everyone around you has value because they are created in God's image, and you are created in God's image. You are important. We all have struggles, but we humans don't get to change and make up rules around us. without consequences. There is a truth. It's set by God, and God won't change it to suit us. God is unchanging, and it's in our arrogance that we demand God change to suit us. We're spoiled two-year-olds demanding daddy feed us cotton candy 24-7 and throw us off the edge of a cliff because we just know we're Superman and we can fly if I just believe hard enough. But daddy is wiser. Isn't how the world works. It's the same with us. Even if our teachers or telephones have told us God's ways are foolish, and they often do, Jesus reminds us in this passage, he's older and he's wiser at the end of the day. There's only one way to be saved. Later in John, he says this, John 8, 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's this message that we need to remember, but also that we need to share. It's not that we're being killjoys to this current society. This society is kind of wild right now. And we're going to be saying things that people don't necessarily want to hear. Also, remember, as we're sharing the gospel and as you're sharing these messages, like I've got people in my family who strongly disagree and are in all of this stuff. I'm not like trying to hurt them or hurt their feelings, nor am I saying you're a bad person because you believe X, Y, or Z, because I've been in many situations where I believed X, Y, or Z that aren't in line with Scripture. We're not saying that. What I am saying is this. There is a truth, and it is God's truth, and we aren't free to change it, right? What is His truth? Our society will constantly tell us there's another truth. There's constantly a Pied Piper leading us down another path. Our goal is to lovingly preach the gospel to others, not to pass judgment. I don't. I don't judge and send a person to hell or heaven. Not my job. I just love them. I share the gospel with them. I meet them where they are, and I share it with them. It's up to them to make choices. On the other hand, I can't say, hey, this is the right path just because I want to be and I want to make it... uh, I just want to be marshmallowy and friendly and do whatever. I do have to say this is right or this is wrong. According to Scripture, just like Niemöller had to say, everyone in his culture was saying this is the right way. It is hard to stand against the darkness when you're the only one in the light. Niemöller understood that he was in the light. And sometimes that's where we're going to find ourselves. Jesus says, I am the light. 
We've got to stand in that light. Amen?